This is Eastman's Elevated Podcast. I have on great guests that are really knowledgeable, consistently successful. We're able to dive deep down the rabbit holes of these different subject matters of shooting, of physical fitness, of mental toughness and drive. All the different skills that make up a complete hunter that you can become. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So on today's podcast, I have on my friend Neil Moore. I wanted to have Neil on. Uh, I'm so impressed by the way Neil's able to push himself, body and mind. Uh, he does all these wild summits, does all these wild swims I've been seeing lately, and then just absolutely sends it when he's hunting. So uh, I just saw that he got back from Alaska and had a bunch of amaz- amazing adventures up there. He's become a really proficient, good elk hunter good at hunting spring bears. Uh, he's a young guy, but he absolutely sends it. And I think there's a lot to be learned from this conversation and from Neil himself. So I'm uh, just so impressed and so excited to have this conversation and share it with you guys. So we'll get right into it. I just want to thank a couple sponsors. I want to thank Juniper Mountain Coffee. Uh, I'm so impressed by these roasts that these guys put out. Uh, so they they source their coffee themselves uh, they're able to find the absolute best roast. They've got three different choices for roasts. Uh, they've got an elk on one of their bags, so they just love supporting Western culture. They love supporting this podcast, and you just couldn't come up with better coffee than Juniper Mountain Coffee. So right now, we're running a special. So there's a, a promotion going. You can save 25% off your order to try their new coffee. Just put in the promo code Eastman's and uh, you'll be able to save that money and get some of the best coffee that you've ever tried. I've been using it at my house here. I've been using it in the field. I was able to get some tea bags off Amazon, fill those with their roasts. I just couldn't be more impressed with the taste of this coffee uh, and quality of it. So uh, if you guys are in the market, I know you guys are coffee drinkers. Make sure to go check them out. Juniper Mountain Coffee. Thanks to those guys for their support. I also want to thank Eberly Stock. Eberly Stock are building great durable packs. So uh, they have a different pack for every different need. They have their Vapor Series, which is great. So you can get their mainframe and you can put a 2,500 cubic inch bag on there, a 5,000 or a 7,500. So a lot of the guys around the office are really liking that one. I really like their Kite Day Pack as it fits tight to my back. Uh, I'm able to move with it and then still get a load of meat out. It's just a great day pack to hunt with. This year they came out with their Kite 4800, so I've been using that on expedition trips, really liking that. Uh, I also like to use their Destroyer Pack for expedition trips, and then their little big top has been like a smaller three to five day pack for me. So uh, they're a great price point, really durable, pack the weight well. Uh, They're building great packs, so thanks to those guys for their support of the podcast. I also want to thank Black Ovis. So Black Ovis is an internet retail shop that has absolutely everything you need for your next hunt. They carry all the top name brands as well as their own name brand that's really good quality. I saw Clint Casper was out here this spring hunting bears and he was wearing uh, a lot of their gear and uh, really looked like high quality stuff. And then I believe Dylan um, Ness, my buddy, has one of their sleeping bags or their puffy pants or both, and uh, really likes those as well. So uh, you can find everything you need. We have a promo code there, so it'll save you 10%. You put in the code uh, ELEVATED10, and um, 
save a bit of money there on your order. So 10% is major off a hunting order. So yeah, check that out. Uh, you can also check out Camo Fire. So a great app where uh, overstock items come up or uh, items that you can save just a pile of money on. There's 80 new deals that come up every 24 hours. Uh, it's an app you can get on your phone. And uh, just be careful as you may get addicted. It's uh, There's a bunch of new deals that, that come up. And I've got a bunch of friends and buddies that use that app. And uh, they're always coming up with new stuff that they got good deals on. So you can check that out over at Camo Fire. And with that, over at Eastman's, we're running that promo for the Juniper Mountain Coffee. Again, you can save 25% with the promo code Eastman's. Uh, you can um, save off the mule deer course. If you have a mule deer hunt coming up, just put in the pro- promo code BRIANMDC. You'll save 10% and also get a mule deer kill kit. Or, uh, uh, yeah, you get a kill kit, Black Ovis bags, which I think are some of the best. And then um, you can also save, you'll get an outdoor edge knife. And I believe we were given away MagView uh, digiscoping gear with that as well. So uh, pretty much the gear that we're giving away pays for the Mule Deer course. So if you're interested in that, check that out. You can check out the new Beyond the Grids. There's some good episodes out from this season, Dan Picard and I. And uh, really proud of how those came out. And uh, new ones dropping every Saturday. Uh, so you just search uh, Eastman's Hunting TV on YouTube and those will pull up. And... Um, yeah, make sure to check out. We've revamped our Tag Hub. We call it our Tag Hub 2.0. Mapping system involved. A bunch of great information on there. Help you learn these western states and the tags that are available. Uh, you can put in the promo code BRIAN and save yourself a bit of money there as well. So with that, let's get into this podcast. It's a great one with Neil Moore. So impressed by this guy. He is absolute full send, like swimming these lakes at night, uh, doing these huge peaks, and then, of course, always sending it and going for it in Alaska, uh, in the lower 48 for these hunts. And uh, he's just one of these guys uh, that has been able to uh, make himself consistently successful just by his output and uh, his full send attitude. So I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Yeah, where are you at? I saw your uh, Gmail was 406. Yeah, so I, I went to school in Missoula. Um, okay. So I, that's when I made the email. Uh, spent a lot of time up there. Actually hunted in the uh, Lee Metcalf there by you quite often. And uh, But now I'm in Jackson Hole. I've been there in Wyoming like eight years now. Mm-hmm. That's where I thought you were, like all those summits on the Tetons there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. my backyard. So I feel very, very fortunate. Man, you've been going for it, like uh, uh, hunting and then, um, man, just adventuring. It seems like, man, I loved your post the other day, swimming those lakes. You get out for a swim today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got a quick one. And we, uh, my friend and I, Danny, the idea was more running. So we did a, did a 22 mile uh, alpine run in the Tetons, um, up to like just below 11,000 feet, and then it's too hot when you come down, so we went for a quick uh, like mile swim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Dude, full send, 22 <laughs> yeah. mile day. That's pretty good, and all in that high elevation, man. You seem to excel in that high elevation. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, the highest I've been was Denali in Alaska, and that one hurt for sure. But like, uh, I mean, you address pretty quick, and um, yeah, I just love it. Anything above tree line, I feel at home. Good for you. Yeah, I see you're always making summits up to those things like uh, good early morning pushes or good all day pushes. Like, man, you're really good at like um, uh, pushing yourself on these big adventures. It's not like you're doing the bare minimum on these things. Yeah, I almost feel like hunting taught me that like a lot of everything kind of builds off itself. But 
packouts that are just through the night, brutal, long ones have taught me to just like, you know, sleep's great if you can get it, but you gotta, you gotta get an animal out or you gotta get yourself out. And so I've like spun that over to my Alpine life. And now, uh, yeah, I just really enjoy like all day pushes, all day efforts with like multiple kind of goals or summits and yeah, it's just a fun way to do it. Dude, super fun. Um, yeah, it's like once you figure out, uh, once you figure out how to do one thing, you can really apply it to other things in life. And whether you learn that lesson, you know, in the Alpine or you learn that lesson hunting, like once you find the equation, it's like, man, that it feels really good to put my everything into something, you know, and to be just like dog tired and really go all out. Like I like that feeling and it means more to you. So yeah, to be able to apply that to different facets of your life is smart. Yeah. And there's no, like, it's cool how you feel like you have the equation and then you are always also learning and like rebuilding the equation. So, you know, you might have one trip and like change up your food a bit and find it like kind of wrecks you or it maybe it benefits you in some way. And so you're like always kind of building on it and teaching yourself what your body can do and then just pushing it to the next level. So. Man, good for you. Yeah. You keep yourself in mountain shape. It makes a difference, doesn't it? Yeah. It's like, when you when you train the body for the mountains, it really responds well in the mountains. Yeah, especially if you can year-round mountain shape. And that was what I didn't used to have. Um, well, in winter, I used to do a lot of mountain lion uh, tracking for Montana, um, which was sweet. But now, like down here, I mean, in Jackson, Wyoming, we are an adult playground, and there's a recreation per season. And what I've noticed is over the last four to five years, my mountain shape stays with me through the year. And mm -hmm. they used to, you know, you'd have to build it, which was annoying. But... Yeah. 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 I hear you. It's like, um, for hunting too, I don't like to get too far out of shape. Like I just like to be ready all the time, like be in good shape. And I also like, it's, it's just positive habits, right? And you're building mm -hmm. habits no matter what you're doing in life, whether they're positive or negative and those positive habits of just like activity level, like every day pushing yourself. So like, uh, watching you swim those lakes it inspired me to go swimming. Like I did no a small lake today. Yeah. It was super cool, man. It's, um, you know, it's like, pretty cool. Um, it was pretty cold, but I was warm right after the run. Like you yep. were saying, it was 90 degree heat, high mountain oh, run. And yep. so, yeah, oh. I jumped right in and cooled off. My dog swam it with me. Yeah, it was killer. Nice. Well, honestly, on the flip side, I've been following you for a long time and, uh, you're running the, the trail running. It's something that a lot of, a lot of people do down here. I always watch you doing it, especially with your dog. And I, that is actually one I didn't really get into until the last year, year and a half. And, um, it's just something I never felt as excited about as like climbing or, or swimming. And lately I've been pushing myself to do it. And now it's turned from like a push to like just being really fun. And I will be honest, I've never had one activity blast me into mountain shape more than trail running. Um, mm -hmm. I've just felt stronger than ever this year. And so thanks for your inspiration. You guys, you run all the Dude, time. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Likewise. I love your follow on social media. Like you say, you're always going full send, but yeah, that, uh, the running, it just puts a, a higher exertion on your body in a shorter amount of time. So it seems mm -hmm. like you can get better workouts from it. And then, you know, it just works the legs and the lungs and all that stuff we need in the mountains. So yeah, I think it transfers over pretty well. Really well. And I think it increases your altitude ability faster. You're just breathing harder at that altitude and you, your body acclimates faster. And I've been blown away. I'm, I'm into it now. Yeah. So, oh, that yeah. high elevation stuff too. It's like, like you said today above 10,000, man, that stuff makes such the difference. Like elevation is such the equalizers. Like hills get mm -hmm. so much bigger at elevation. Like I know, 
you know, here at my house at 6,000, 7,000, I can go run up 500 feet, 1,000 feet, no problem. But it's like different once I get to Colorado and I'm at 12,000 feet, those 500 to 1,000 feet pushes, they they like take a lot longer and my legs are on fire and like you Absolutely. just really feel it. So like you say, the more time you can spend at altitude and definitely like running helps me too, like adapt to that high elevation. Uh, I think it's just money in the bank. Dude, I got... Uh, so I ran this marathon once at uh, all above oh. 10,000 feet. And, oh, my um, God. Where was, was that? Uh, they do it on the top of the Gravelies. They do it every okay. year, the Madison yeah. Marathon, which is really cool. Sweet. Uh, but I ran it, and I had been running really strong, and I had just run like a – three hour, 15 minute marathon or something. So, you know, I figured on this thing, it's high elevation, but I'm not gaining much elevation. Like I should be able to just coast and kill this thing. And so I was giving myself three hours, 30 minutes, three hours, 45 minutes, about four and a half hours later, I crossed the finish line, dude, just so exhausted. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, that elevation just takes it out of you. Yeah. I remember going up to Nolly about a year ago, I had never been above like 15,000 and from there up, I like we actually had summit twice in three days, and the first summit was just like I've never felt so slow in the mountains. I was like, okay, it's not, it's not you. It's just this air. You got to get used to it, and there's like headaches and awful. But it's amazing what our bodies can do. Came down from that back to 14. Two days later, went for it again, and I could have like run up the thing. It was wild. Like you just wow. needed that time, like at elevation. It's pretty cool. We luckily here, I think I live right around the same altitude. We're right about 6,200 feet here, but. Um, you could throw a rock to twelve to thirteen thousand pretty close. So very, very fortunate. That uh, acclimation is so important. That's so wild that you did it two days later and it came so much easier to you. It's like just just a testament to like really letting the body uh, adapt to that elevation because it is, man, the first couple days, the first few days, you just feel off. Your appetite feels off. The mm -hmm. headaches that you mentioned, um, you know, it can actually get scary, like big exertion in high mountains. I don't know if you've ever felt it before, but I'll feel a bit off or like a bit dizzy and I don't feel like eating and sometimes on like a really big push at altitude. Do you feel any of that anymore? Or are you just used uh to it? I definitely feel the, um, you know, occasionally like first summit of the year, first couple summits, yep. I'll get like a little lightheaded or dizzy. And, you know, it's scary because that's that higher elevation stuff is where your decision making needs to be the most on point. Right. And yeah. you can catch yourself being like, oh, man, I'm not like thinking as clearly. So um, but definitely one that does not go away is that weird um, appetite. That is yep. an odd one. And, and fueling at that altitude, whether on a hunt or on a climb, like it's something to learn because it's you don't want to eat um you need to eat and also certain foods only work certain times of the year like you can't try eating a cliff bar in winter at altitude it's a brick it'll break your teeth <laughs> um, so there's this weird yeah there's a lot of learning curves there and, and then weather too it's just that much more you know kind of critical Mm -hmm. yeah. Dude, I'm so interested that uh, Alpine stuff is so cool that you do. It's such a big push. Uh, do you see like that that effort and like um, all your work at that high elevation? I bet you see it pay just huge dividends come hunting season, right? Just in your push and the mental side of things and in everything. It's got to make you way better in the mountains. Yeah, yeah. Both both work back to each other. Like the the hunting makes me makes every pack that I use the rest of the year feel light. Um, and then yeah, come hunting season, especially because usually I'm lower than, you know, 12 or 13,000. Um, yeah, the breathing feels really good. And just that mindset of, you know, if we drop a bowl at one in the morning, like, all right, we're just going to get it out through the night. And that being able to just know that your body can keep going that whole time. And you might hit these low points, but knowing that in previous efforts, you've 
pulled through those low points. And so it's all a mental game. I mean, most of everything we do in life, I feel is mental. And the more you can test it throughout the year, the better you're going to be. Oh, you're so right. It just starts and ends with the mind, right? Mm -hmm. Like you just decide that you want to do it. And it's, it's not fun all the time or every step. In fact, like a lot of times it's a grind, but that, that mindset will just carry you through anything. It's just like you said, everything in life. And it's kind of like goes in one ear and out the other because we've heard it so many times. But when you really think about it and feel that, and you have that, that strong mind, that mental fortitude, um, man, you can accomplish anything. And that's in business, that's in climbing, that's in swimming and hunting and in everything, just like you started the conversation. Like once you figure it out, um, you know, in one aspect, you can definitely transfer it to other places in your life. But yeah, that strong mind, man. And the only way to get it is to go do difficult things, right? Yeah, we need to like, we say we like, like to suffer, but I think we, you know, that's a hard term to use. I, at least we, we know that pushing ourselves, we know the benefit after and, and it's, it's smart to just keep yourself, you know, in a, in a mindset where life should be a little hard and it makes you a better person in every way. So, you know, yeah, that's it. What do you think about when you're suffering? Like, uh, what keeps driving you to climb these summits? Like, man, a lot of these things are solo. You're leaving earlier in the morning and it's same thing as a hunt. Like what, what keeps you out there? drives you to put so much effort forth. Where's your, where's your belief start? Yeah. I don't know. I guess once you've had enough of those experiences, you know, the, the beautiful, you know, sometimes very short lived, unreal moments that happen, whether it's like a crazy sunset up high, um, that crazy harvest, you know, on day 10, when you thought about packing out or leaving mm -hmm. day five. And once you've had just one or two of those, you know, that nature can give you these gifts if you push for it. And it's enough incentive to just want to get out every day to know, you know, what's the gift this time, or what am I going to, you know, receive or earn and, and uh, yeah, just from, I mean, that, that first time you might need to grind it, but once you've experienced that feeling after it's uh, it's enough to keep you going. Well I said. also, I also get into some crazy head spaces where like, I mean, who knows, like when I'm swimming, honestly, it's some of these swims, the longest ones I've done are like five to 10 miles. And I just count, <laughs> it sounds so dumb, but I'll literally just count strokes and I just count to a hundred and every 50 and a hundred stroke, I look up to make sure I'm online back down count. And it's the same when you're on a pack out, you might have like the shortest section of a song in your head that you hate, but it keeps repeating. And it's enough just, you know, you get in what I call zombie mode and you just push through and you know, that feeling at the end is so worth it. So you're going to keep pushing. Yeah, it's really well said, Neil. It's, um, man, it is. It's like uh, knowing the payoff or knowing the reward and how good it feels when you when you do push and grind and hit that finish line. Yeah, that's what, what drives you. And then you chase that feeling. And so then you'll just do whatever it takes, whenever it takes, you know, to make sure that you get it again. Um, yeah. yeah, it's well said. And, and also like breaking down the time into chunks or into smaller portions, like not looking at the overall swim or the overall run, how many miles you got to do or how many miles you got to go, like, like really trying to be present in the moment or like you say, break it down. Like sometimes I can just count steps or, and, and my mind will go to some weird places too. When you do suffer so much or uh, do so many of these activities that are that are really physical, you get pretty good at being inside your own head and you really just don't let your thoughts turn negative. Like even if something hurts, even if bad weather comes in, like you definitely have to make smart decisions. But in the same breath, it's just like, oh, it'll make for a better adventure. Like it's good. It's just like uh, used to facing challenges, I guess, and used to overcoming them, you know, which is that same thing you're doing as well. 
Yeah. And honestly, I think once you've had that feeling enough in those great moments, like it's almost an addiction to a, to a bad degree or a good degree, depending on how you look at it. But like, I know if I, you're asking what like gets me on each day, I know if I sit, you know, a week in, in town, you know, whether it be working or doing other stuff, like I get antsy, you know, and, and maybe that's just a weird personality trait, but I think you can build that. Um, once you, once you recreate enough out there and push yourself enough, but, uh, yeah, it's enough to make me go, even if it's two in the morning and I'm on very little sleep, but well, like, um, you, you think relaxing feels good or you get really worn down. You're like, man, it'd be great to spend a day on the couch or it'd be great to relax for a day. And then you relax for a day and you don't feel that great. You know, Mm -hmm. you actually feel bad. It's like, man, I really need to be like activity is what fuels me. And, and, um, you know, so I like keeping active and there's plenty of stuff I can do around here, but I also like just get like nature is such a playground. Like you just got to get out in it and like getting mm-hmm. on these trail runs or getting in mountain hikes or skis in the wintertime, like whatever it is, it's like, um, it's getting to the mountains and there's a bit of like, I don't know. It's uh, it definitely gets rid of my anxiety or that that physical exercise. Like I just don't worry about things as much. Oh, yeah. uh, able to come home and handle other things. But yeah, man, I get that. I get that feeling you're talking about. And dude, some of those lake slams you're doing is crazy. You you set off the cuff like five to ten miles, dude. That's a crazy swim. I have to work up to that. Like, yeah. uh, but uh, the other night or the the other day, I was watching your social media and you were. You had crushed a lake, you'd crushed a summit, you went back down and crushed a lake, and then you couldn't sleep at two in the morning and you swam another lake. I was like, man, this Neil is going for it, dude. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, just listening to your body and like, I, sometimes I'll lay down after some of those and I will just like, it, there's some of the coolest sleeps in my life. I'll close my eyes, I'll set an alarm for 90 minutes, which is generally like considered a REM cycle length, and I'll set it and I'll just, the second I close my eyes, the alarm goes off. And those are like great sleeps and I love it and you just keep going. But then there's others where, yeah, my body like was too revved and like couldn't sleep. And in my mind, I'd say, well, if you can't sleep, might as well just keep going, you know, and there's just no other. I mean, especially on a loop like that traverse was when you are in the middle or even near the middle, your closest way out is to keep going. So, um, so you might as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's super cool. Yeah. yeah and then, um, yeah, I said watching you do those swims. You're swimming in a is it a dry suit or a wetsuit to help with the warmth, like swimming at night or something like that? Yeah, it's a wetsuit. Um, so it definitely lets, you know, you're wet in it, but uh it is pretty thick. It's a five mil um mm-hmm. with an attached hood. And what I found is depending on the time of year, it's it's quite needed. Um our lakes down here actually it's a little overkilled by middle of summer. Um, but when you're at those higher altitude lakes like that traverse was, dude, there were two that I needed it. I was even actually for the first time uh i swam one of the lakes in a longer way and hugged the shore because it was so cold i was like somewhat worried about you know like my body failing out on on hypothermia but um and they're so cold sometimes i don't swim like you normally would think where your head's down and then breathing heads down breathing if it's really cold i'll swim like a surfer with my head up the whole time um but yeah it's a five mil uh with an attached hood so i can take it on or off um and then if it's really cold wearing tiny one millimeter gloves will change your life mm. um yeah really really nice they can you know go under the cuff of the wetsuit and your hands are you just like aren't swimming with these claws these frozen claws you actually have some dexterity and and then when you get out you're able to actually work with your gear better they're not all frozen so that's kind of my setup right now with uh with all my gear dragging behind me in a dry bag 
Mm, man, yeah, it's a good setup. Yeah, you've got it dialed in. Yeah, and I'm sure those wetsuits and those gloves will be able to extend the swim season as well. So it's not just the middle of summer like those alpine lakes and that hypothermia has to be a real concern when you're swimming like that like it isn't so much hiking or it i mean i definitely definitely can be if you get wet but the gear's so good nowadays and um kind of know how to manage your body but i bet it's like a different beast in that lake like boy you start getting cold in there it could get real dangerous and you're in the middle of the lake yeah yeah i had one that i'll never repeat it was a november 4th swim right before our lakes froze over here and i was like oh, i'll go for one more before they freeze and there was even ice started to build along the shore and I swam out and there was this early morning inversion. It was wild. It was like this fog, you know, those classic inversions in a valley. And it was like a foot or two above the water. And so I was like, okay, well, inversions usually burn off in the morning. So I'll swim across this lake in this like window of visibility, a foot or two above the water. And I could see the other side. And then when I come back, I'm sure it'll be clear. And so I swam there just fine through that window. And I flipped around. It was cold. It was in November. Like I could not swim with my head under the water, too cold, even with the hood. And on my way back, um, the inversion actually dropped. Um, and I was in a full whiteout in the middle of a lake and had a mile of water on each side. And that one got, that's the first time I've like, I'd say I've ever experienced what you'd call like a panic attack. I was just like in the water. All I could see was white all around me, the lapping water up within a foot of me. And, uh, you know, if you talk about the mental game, you just had to, like I told myself in that moment, like, hey, you're, you're in a lake. Um, there's a shore on every side. If you just keep swimming, you may do a ton of circles but you're at least warm if you're moving and somewhat, and uh, you'll eventually hit a shore and be able to find your way out. And, but there was a moment I got so cold that I stopped to think about that. And when you stop, you get a lot colder. And I just realized in that moment, I was like, wait, you have to keep moving. And I like ripped my head off to get clarity, my hood off. And then uh, realized the weight ripping your hood off is not the move. I need that, rip, put it back on. And I had to just like breathe and like calm down, think about it and just trust that like this, you know, I'm in a lake, I will eventually hit a shore. And so, yeah, I just kept swimming and, Ended up actually seeing the sun rise and I could just barely make it out. And I knew, you know, it's rising in the, the southeast down here. So if I swam a little bit left of it, I should be perfectly east. And that once I had that, I had a bearing and um, was able to, to get to the shore. But yeah, that one, that one required a little bit of all your training and like cold weather, what to do, cold water, and then also navigation and mental game. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, probably won't do a November one again, but yeah. Dude, that's a bit gnarly for sure. Well, um, you know, when you immerse yourself in nature like this, like, um, you know, there are no free passes and there are great gear out there, but you do get in some of these difficult situations where uh, these decisions are critical and they directly affect your safety out there. And you're, you know, it's it's part of the reason why it's so fun, too, is because you're putting it on the line to go do these adventures, these summits or these swims or go on these hunts like you're really self-sufficient back there. And it's not not nerfed and it's not easy but yeah you you do find yourself in some of those situations whether it's the lake or whether you know you just get in an absolute downpour and no rain pants and just rain jacket and you know start getting wet where then all of a sudden those decisions start to mean more or mm -hmm. do like your lightning storms have to be gnarly in the tetons like most guys aren't afraid of lightning unless they spend a lot of time on the high peaks and i know those lightning storms up there are not to be messed with man yeah. um uh, I bet you've had some uh, sketchy storms that come through there and learned some valuable lessons as well. Yeah, and I'm sure you've had them down in Colorado hunting down there. It's it's a real thing in summer. You know, winter's kind of the avalanche worry, but summer it's these, these lighting bolts. People always ask, me, why are you starting it? Why do you never sleep? You start at midnight, you start at 2 in the morning. I'm like, it's full-on a safety thing. Like, would I love to sleep in? Absolutely. But 
you know, it's, it's a lightning thing and, and you watch it, you, you know, this is something as, uh, especially with the solo things, I think you gain a lot of self-confidence because every situation you get in, like we're talking about, it's a little scary or a little risky. You, you can almost laugh at yourself because you're like, I put myself here, right? Like I'm, I have no one else to blame. Like I put myself here and then you got to get yourself out. And when you do, you gain this like big, just like self-confidence in, in yourself and your knowledge. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's something I've learned to watch. I, I don't commercially guide rock climbing anymore. I did in college, but I take a lot of friends up these Tetons and I've noticed that the, the newer ones will, will agree with me to start at midnight or two. We'll get up there and being their first summit, they really want to hang out there a while and, and peaks are, you're kind of exposed. Right. And it's, it's a worrisome thing. And I'll always remember like last year we were up there, five of us and they wanted to hang out, like taking those views. They've been dreaming of getting on this peak for a while. And I'm just watching these white clouds. You're perfectly white, not a huge worry, but they were like lightly building and uh, they hadn't noticed it. And I was just, you know, I didn't want to freak them out, but I was like, eventually we'd spent so much time on the summit. I was like, guys, we get, we got two repels to get down. Let's at least get down those kind of fast, you know, and get going. And they were like, okay, we start coming down. We finished the two repels and we had not scrambled more than 30 minutes more. And we hear this crack of lightning. We look up the summit. We had just been on the top 600 feet was covered in a black cloud and had like multiple bolts hitting it. And it was just such a reminder that like, we were at the mercy of nature and, you know, luckily there's some patterns we can learn and we can watch to understand it better, but you decision-making is everything. <laughs> Dude, it's everything. That's so gnarly. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just that, that bad time frame in the summer to early fall. And it's in all these Western States, Wyoming, I hunt South of you down there, Nevada. Mm. I've got a tag this year, Utah, nice. and I could get gnarly in any of those places. And you do, you become part weatherman. Like you have to read the storms that are coming in and you have to read them building, but they also like form right around those mountains, just like you're talking about around mm. that peak. And I've had some of my sketchiest moments where it just seems like almost clouds are rolling in or fog around me and it's kind of white it doesn't look threatening at all and that first bolt of lightning is right on top of me and then it starts oh. healing and raining and cracking and if you don't if you don't like set yourself upright and get to a lower elevation and get to a group of trees or uh get to a low where you can ride them out man you're in you're in tough shape because just like you saw it hit that peak man i've watched it hit peaks and hit them multiple times over and i was just standing yep. on it a couple hours ago yeah. you know and so it's humbling uh, man those rocks sure. man they attract the lightning and it's just a different beast in the high country um like especially when you get one of those real bad storms where you get like 300 strikes within a half mile mm -hmm. that makes you a little bit leery of those storms and that lightning but it's a it's a skill that you have to learn and when I was younger I used to go for it a lot more and sleep on a lot of those ridge lines and anymore man I want my camp in a safe spot even if I got to climb an extra 500 feet in elevation in the morning I do not need to be sleeping on those peaks when that thing comes in yeah and they come in so fast that your whether your lack of sleep to start early or your extra effort to camp down low it is worth it it's absolutely worth it. that's just like a learned skill and it's got to be extra hard i mean especially if you're hunting you know all these various states each state has its own you know weather systems own kind of hazards i'm sure you know the desert i worked down in new mexico for a bit and those monsoons were new to me i was like all right gotta learn this new weather thing you know? and, <laughs> and now guiding hunts in alaska i'm like all right like maybe it's not as high altitude maybe it's not as big lightning storms but the rain and the wind is just like a newer factor that, you know, um, you just, yeah, I mean, it's fun. It's fun, but you definitely, if you're on safety, you need to like do a bit of research on the areas you're going. Yeah. So, uh, looked like you spent some time in Alaska last year, right? Did I see that on your feed? 
Yeah, so I've been going up there. This will be my fourth year. Um, I was a packer uh, for like two and a half years or so um, to obtain my guides license. So got that this last winter. So I was actually this year, my fourth year up there will be my, um, I'll be up there three times. So I had a brown bear hunt in May uh, and then I'll go up. Actually, God, it's coming up so soon. I'm so excited. I got a first doll sheep hunt uh, this August and that one um, I'm actually kind of like training on in a sense, even though I'm a guides license, the outfitter and I are going together with our client um, and should be fully trained for that on doll sheep. And then uh, every September, and this is what I started on, I, I'm sorry, Jackson Hall. I love September down here, the elk rutting and everything, but I'm in Alaska all September for moose. Um, it's just something mm-hmm. I've fallen in love with. So, yeah, good for you, man. Um, yeah. So, where do we even begin on that, dude? How was the brown bear hunt this spring? That had to be pretty wild. Yeah, it was. It was cool. It was a great one. That was my also my first brown bear. It's all been moose prior to this, so kind of learning all these other two. Um, did you guys in Montana? You had a late spring, I take it. We did too. Like, yep. more rain, more yeah. And totally. so bears came out a little later, um, just gnarlier weather than you'd expect kind of in your spring. And Alaska was the same way. We spent uh, basically 10 days in either 40 mile an hour winds or rain for all 10 days. And it <laughs> makes you earn it, man. I love it. Um, but I saw a storm I've never really seen before. Three days straight of 40 to 60 mile an hour winds. Like didn't stop. You know, down here, it's like, okay, it'll get windy in the afternoon and calm down at night. This was just like, it, dude, it made you earn it. It was, it was fun. Um, and, but it kept bear activity a little low, you know, while we might at a normal camp see, uh, I've been told, you know, upwards of eight brown bears a day, we were seeing like six, a, a hunt, you know, a 10 day hunt. So made you earn it, made you, made you work hard, glass a lot. And, um, I'm actually kind of excited because for that to have been my first season training on, uh, spring bear, at least I don't know from from the looks of it it doesn't look like it gets much worse than that so now it should be uh fun every other year i mean it was already fun but what i'm saying is like i i, I trained well on a hard year i guess yeah. yeah it makes sense dude um yeah i've done uh three seasons or three different hunts up there in alaska not three seasons but three different hunts up there that were um self-guided uh, such a great place for adventuring but just like you state like you have to learn the weather in different places and i go back every year i come from the pacific northwest and then go out to the olympic peninsula fishing for steelhead out there nice. uh, but the amount of rain they get i mean they get 200 inches of rain a year so that weather that you're talking about alaska been in some gnarly weather in New Zealand where it rained on us for like three days. But when you're in that kind of moisture, even with the best gear, it just seeps in everywhere. Like you just mm-hmm. get wet. And so yeah. like getting wet is so dangerous. That's when you are hypothermic and it just makes everything more difficult. Just uh, walking around in the gear, uh, trying to keep dry, drying out. Um, but yeah, it definitely makes things difficult. And then not being able to glass uh, hear calls like, uh, uh, man, it's just, you just, um, you, you just pray for like nice weather. Can I just have a day where the sun comes out? You know, it sounds yeah. like that's what you were having this spring. Yeah. And it happens like last year, I got a really cool opportunity to do my own, uh, prior to our clients coming in and do my own solo moose hunt. Uh, so I spent 12, 12 or 13 days alone up there. And, um, I got decently lucky in that I only lost one whole day to weather, you know, it, but that happens in Alaska. That's why these hunts are, you know, 10 plus days is you will, you'll wake up and you can't, you can't even glass 10 feet. Um, and, uh, and I don't want to like tromp around through there and spread my scent. And so 
only lasts one full day, but yeah, you come to this reality that, all right, my, my feet will just be wet for like five <laughs> straight days. <laughs> foot care. And yeah, it's, it's a different ball game. It's fun. But, it so yeah. is the footwear is so tough over there. Right. Cause I love tennis shoes. Like I can do anything in tennis shoes. I work in them, I run in them and then a good waterproof set with some gators. You can keep your feet dry, but over there in the muskeg and in the yeah. swamplands and crossing like openings, there's no way your feet get wet. And so then you go with like, okay, maybe I'll go with the mountain boot. I'll get some more height out of them and then I'll be good out there. And then you go over top of those and they get wet. And then you try to wear like waders or something. And then you're miserable and you're wet from sweat of trying to walk around <laughs> yep. with those things, even the breathable waders. So I have not figured out the answer to the footwear in Alaska, man. It is challenging, but yeah, you yeah. just come to the, to the realization. It's just like, ah, oh, my feet are just going to be wet. It's just like, that's, it's just what it is at this point. I'm just going to have to dry them out every night and I'm going to, and there's nothing worse than like wet, cold boots in the morning. Is there? Oh my God. Not, like, especially <laughs> when, or like if you can dry them out after being so wet, you wake up and they're just crusty. Like literally they can stand up, they can stand up on their own and you just like put them on like a brick. And then, I mean, my, my accept, what I've accepted in Alaska is, especially with that, you know, moose country of just like that tundra, that wet musket, like you're talking about. If, if I just put them on, whether dry or wet, it doesn't really matter because within a hundred yards, it's, you know, the soaking wet muskeg again. <laughs> and so you just kind of get used to that acceptance, but yeah, it's tough, man. And like, it sounds cool to bring up like a sock, a pair of socks per day, but that's extra weight. You know, we're always mm -hmm. in this like weight to gear ratio. That's, that's fun to always test, but man, it's hard to like say you nailed it. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah. You're always uh, making tweaks to it. And then it's just different due to the conditions you face that year too, you know, but yeah, it, uh, you know, I do like an extra pair of socks, but I can't bring more than like a couple, like, you know, a dry pair and then the pair that I'm wearing maybe, you know, and then I've, mm -hmm. I'll change them out. But yeah, I, I definitely can't bring a pair for every day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those moose are cool, man. Um, it fits your personality really well. Like, uh, those things are low population densities wherever you're hunting. And I've hunted the Alaskan Yukon one time I did like a 12 day float that I think got extended to like 14 days. We did like a hundred mile float just a super adventure man and i i had saw like uh, 10 different bull moose so it was really good up top and then you know it was kind of like really learn the river system and where the good flats were and where the bulls were and had some close calls but just tough with the bow and arrow wasn't able to seal the deal and then i drew a shiris tag and like that probably the same mountain range that um you were talking about hunting down here in like the gravelies and so I drew my Shiras tag after 22 years of applying last year. And then, dude, you talk about a grind. It was like, it's a really good unit and a good population. It'll grow great bulls. And it's probably like my only chance at a Shiras and it's got to be killed with a bow with me. And so, you know, I went for it and I just wouldn't kill a bullwinkle. Like it didn't have to be a world record, but had mm -hmm. to be like one that I was really stoked with, you know, but yeah, 30 days later, I put 30 days into it. I had seen over 40 moose but just a real challenge, man. And it's like where, you know, it's almost like if somebody tells you they saw a bull moose there, you almost like don't go to that spot anymore because yep, you'll never exactly. see them again because they roll so much country. But yeah, they're really tough because their population densities are low. And so again, it comes back to that mental fortitude of continuing to, to hunt the right way and do the right thing and put all this effort in, but not much reward for days on end. And then your reward comes in the comes in the form of like one opportunity on day seven or day eight where you find a big bull like has that been your experience with it too is that why you're drawn yeah. to it 
Yeah, definitely. Well, first off, I followed that hunt of yours, uh, the Shiris, um, very, very closely. That was wild. I mean, your tenacity on that to to work that hard for both, because it is, it's almost like you're, you're hunting like a predator in a sense, but it's a prey animal. Like they, you know, the lower densities you're talking about, they're not talking as much. I mean, you hear the cows calling, but they're not talking as much as like elk wood. And it is just a little more of a grind, almost like you're bear hunting or something um, in terms of that density. And I think that's the exciting thing that I love about it. The, the, also just the awe that we get to live with this animal. That's so big. I mean, elk are big, but when you see a palmated, you know, mass, like, especially in Alaska, like we can't even, you can't even harvest anything below 50 inches unless it's got four brows, but we don't, we don't see a lot of the four brows where we're at. And so when you see that palmation coming through, just that we live with a dinosaur, I think is what, what really gets me about them. Um, and, and then, you know, the workload, of course, after is just like, wow, we really earned this. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just the all the full on in every way, just like the ultimate Alaska adventure or any adventure if you got showers. But yeah, man. Uh, yeah. The, the ultimate adventure, especially Alaska is so remote up there and so big, so much room to explore, you know. So, yeah, I can see why you like that. Yeah, I forgot to even mention the the work once you get one down. Gosh, those yep. things are like sixteen hundred pounds in Alaska. They're so big. Uh, does your unit, do you have to pack the meat out on the on the bone as well? No, luckily you can debone. And nice. we have we have some actually it's pretty neat moose country because it's it's not you're not like river floating um, in like pretty open open tundra. It's it's actually like decently mountainous. It's like right at the foothills of a larger mountain range. And so there's these like ridge lines that the caribou run and the moose will be like almost up on them. And so it makes for this just ultimate experience where when you get one down, we we luckily have a phenomenal pilot who we can, you know, inreach and we'll pack it to ridges that we he's never landed on. And we'll just like scout what looks like, a, you know, know roughly how much yardage he needs and scout what we think, you know, he could land on, hit him up, like he'll buzz over it. And like, if he can't, all right, you're packing it farther. Like we, cause we kind of spike camp our moose, which is really, really fun. It's not this like one mile away from camp. We will go five miles of the spike camp and then keep pushing, accepting that, all right, we're so far, we got to find a new airstrip. And uh, it just makes for this very more variables more decision making kind of hunting and i think it's what i like about it oh dude that is super fun yeah you guys got a good way you're going about it well you get all settled up in the, in your guide position you gotta uh, come back on like i'm sure guys would be so stoked to be able to team up with you on one of those hunts you know so uh yeah uh, go have a good season up there this year and then you got to come back on the podcast man oh, it's like gosh. that and then the doll sheep experience dude that stuff's built for you right like you get oh, to go it's... hunt those things above timberline in alaska you got there's be just, one dream uh, i've ever had it's doll sheep's so it should be an annual thing now every year. And so I'll train this year and then keep going. And it's, it's what I truly like, I don't know, you can't, if an animal was, or if a terrain was made for me, that's what I want to do. So yeah, I'm pretty pumped for this one. hundred percent, man. Good for you. Yeah. I think yeah, that... the, guide, the guiding just, you know, it's something interesting that I've, I've come to realize like down here, I don't, I don't commercially guide elk and deer down here. Cause I just don't want to like lose my seasons, I guess, or, um, I, I, when I made climbing my job, I learned that I lost the love of climbing. So I didn't quite want to make, you know, elk and deer my job to possibly lose love of that. But I do, do still take a lot of friends on their, you know, to harvest their first elk. And there's something I've just enjoyed about, like, I don't need to pull this trigger I, or, you know, throw that arrow. I just want to be on these adventures. And that's what the Alaska guiding is for me. I'm getting just 
a lifetime worth of experiences without, you know, having to, you know, fund it or, 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 you know, and I get to do it every year. And yeah, just the amount of, like, even in the short time I've been up there coming up on year four, like, dude, we've, we've had to put down a grizzly that charged us from six, 80 yards down to 30 in seconds. And it's just, uh, it's full on. And so I like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, like, uh, the, the most intimate experience you can get in nature, just immersing yourself and your attitude towards it and like approach to it is just like perfectly built when you can embrace just the adventure of it. And like you say, you don't know, you don't always have to pull the trigger or be the shooter, but just to be there on the adventure and the experience, dude, it's the best way to look at it. It's like when you love the journey, uh, like, you know, we talked about, um, you know, the, the feeling, the satisfaction of, of climbing a mountain or shooting a bull, but it, but it's actually the journey that really matters when you climb enough of those things, when you shoot enough bucks and bulls, when you go on enough adventures, you realize it's like the journey that really matters, not the accomplishment. It doesn't matter if you got to that peak or not that day. It was like the, the whole experience. And it sounds like that's your approach to hunting and guiding up there in Alaska, which will serve you really well, man. Yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, it totally is like, I, why would I swim a, a similar lake that I've already swam or climb, you know, some of these summits have been on Tetons coming up on like 25 times. It's not to stand on that rock anymore. You know, mm -hmm. I know the view, I know what it's gonna, you know, but it's that journey every time. And it's always because of weather, because of who you're with, because of everything, all the variables, it's a little different every time. And that's why we love it is that journey. It's not just this final, honestly, you get to the top and you're like, all right, this is cool. Fist pump my friends. Let's go down. You know, totally not to stand right there. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Well, uh, dude, you're going to have fun on that. Um, doll sheep hunt. Like you say, it's just perfectly suited to your skill set and that high mountain stuff. Uh, so you'll team up with the, um, the, the guide this year, whatever the outfitter this year, you guys will guide somebody together. Right. So he just mm -hmm. wants to make sure that you're ready and prepared and have the knowledge and make good decisions. And then, uh, you'll be able to go do it on your own. But Man, those things, um, man, above Timberline, and you got to send it up there. You got to be able to cover an immense amount of terrain to find them because they're not everywhere. And it's like an immense amount of terrain that's uh, extremely gnarly, dude. That has to be so exciting for you. Yeah, it's, you know, this year to be learning that country, learning that unit, and just covering a lot. And the big thing in Alaska that, you know, I'm, I'm honestly glad they have this requirement to get your guide's license of a couple years of packing because the big thing you got to learn up there is judging animals. You know, there's just, there's strict laws up there and it's, it's great. It keeps their populations healthy. But this year, the goal is just, I want to look over. I mean, I've always loved sheep and love judging them. I look for sheep skulls all the time down here. It's very fun. It's kind of my form of shed hunting, but, uh, but I just want to look over a lot of dolls to know legality. You know, if you're oh, going to be man. a guide, you got to know that legality. And it's the same with moose that now after a couple of years, I feel comfortable judging this with, but sheep are even, even tougher, they say. So. Oh, dude. Yeah, uh, you're so right. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, the you just can't mess around up there with uh, Alaska, uh, the state troopers or their fish and game or, you know, they um, they have strict guidelines and strict rules and they adhere to them to the letter of the law. And so, yeah. you know, if that doll sheep is short of a full curl, like your your uh, clients in trouble, you're in trouble, the outfitters in trouble, like, mm -hmm. man, oh, man. And you're talking it can just be a matter of perspective, like the angle you get to make sure he's legal. And you do, you have to be a hundred percent sure. I remember when I was hunting moose up there, 
it was like, you know, I looked over a lot and prepared myself for it. But in the same breath, like I couldn't tell you whether, you know, he had to be 55 to 60 inches before I could tell you he was a shooter because I just didn't want him on that line or to be yeah. wrong. You know, oh, we, so, we call we call our small bulls we see or ones we're like, not sure. We call them 51 inches and we ain't shooting a 51, you know, because he could go 49. And so, yeah, I'm with you. It's 55 or over if you're going to actually feel confident. It'd be like, honestly, the best fish would be. Imagine if, you know, a lot of our units down here in the lower 48, you know, for an elk would be branch antlered, you know, anything other than a spike in, in a lot of them. Imagine if instead it was um, you couldn't harvest anything under 330. How many people glassing a bull a mile away can actually judge the inches perfectly to 330 or greater or less? You know, that would get stressful. And that's that's what Alaska is kind of like. Yeah, that's a really good comparison. Yeah, it's um, it's tough to know that exact score, you know, unless he's 360, 370, yep. then you know it. But anything on the line, yeah, you could very easily easily go 320. And then, too, like uh, uh, people are used to judging elk racks when they're holding them, not when they're mm -hmm. seeing them on a head. So they, you know, I think um, I think a lot of guys would overestimate what it is. I think you'd get some bulls that were uh, 300 or 310 bulls that were killed thinking they were 330. So yeah, man, Absolutely. super difficult. And then with doll sheep, you're just talking about inches. And so, man, you just got to uh, stare through the scope and it sounds like you got to get really the right look and the right angle. And then, you know, I'd imagine like I've hunted goats, I'm actually going goat hunting this year. And oh, then, awesome. um, but you know, to judge those horns, they're tough to judge from a long distance. Like the key to it, even with a good scope is you just got to get closer and look at them to be able to mm -hmm. judge them. And I would think it'd be the same thing on sheep where you see them a long ways off and it's like, man, he's close, but we won't know until we get up there and get a closer look at him. Yeah, I think you just have to stay far away so you don't spook them out. Get that one that's close enough that it's worth the mileage push to get there. But you're not going to know until you're close. And like you said, you gotta, you're going to need every single angle. So it's a long time looking at them. You know, it's not just like, okay. oh, there's a nice rim, you know. Um, damn, goats. Is that in Montana? No. So I've got a goat hunt up in BC this year. Oh, so, okay. um, it's a pretty cool deal. I'm, I'm buddies with a, a guide up there and he works for an outfitter and we've been talking about this for years and finally put it together. So I'll go up with him. He'll actually have a goat tag as well in this super gnarly mountain range. So we'll backpack in and go hunt them together. So me and my buddy, and then, um, you know, but he is a guide through this outfitter. And so we'll go on that hunt and then, um, yeah, it's bow only, uh, yeah, it's going to be super sick. I'm really looking forward to it. It's just like this, um, opportunity that came up that I couldn't pass up, but he actually has a, a stone sheep tag with his cool. bow after we finish off. So talking about enjoying the journey or, you know, like I may never get to hunt a stone sheep, never say never, like maybe my opportunity will come, but I do get to go with him as he's got a bow tag for one and go experience that gnarly mountain range and being able to move around and go find those things. So I'm super stoked. Like, you know, for me, bow hunting, like I want to bow hunt the most extreme terrain, toughest animals, biggest challenge, you know, and this definitely fits the bill as far as like extreme terrain. Yeah, I think alpine animals with a bow is probably the number one hardest thing because like getting in close is hard, with less timber. You have all the variables we talked about with lightning and all that. It's It sounds like the ultimate. And just to join on a stone sheep hunt, well done. That'll be amazing. God, dude, Damn, yeah, I'm so stoked. Yeah, kicks <laughs> off. I fly out here in, um, yeah, uh, uh, August 13th. So, yeah, it's going to come up quick. Okay. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. yeah That's we, like you, your um, doll sheep, uh, it ought to take place here pretty quick, right? Yeah, fly up August 7th. Uh, I think the hunt starts 8th to the 18th. Um, 
and then I'll come back here for just a couple of weeks, uh, get some final climbing in, say goodbye to climbing season. September first hits, and uh, it's moose season. So it'll kind of be two two trips to Alaska with a week and a half or so back home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've worked it out where uh, you have different seasons for things you like to enjoy, right? It's so fun to like have the entire year and have things to go do, whatever it may be. But uh, these these outdoor recreations, like I know, you know, there's times of the year where I'm fly fishing really hard, mm-hmm. times of the year where I'm bow hunting really hard, times of the year where I'm running really hard. Like there's there's always something to do when you live in the mountains, but it's pretty nice when you set up your life where there's always something exciting to go do. Yeah, and I think that's what I've fallen in love with this season. So I grew up in San Francisco, and for 18 years was like surfing and climbing. And you could basically climb me around. The only two seasons we had were like good surf and bad surf, or like rain and no rain. And now that I've moved to the mountains, it's it's this addiction of like there's a change all the time and a new recreation or sport or whatever per each season. And we were talking earlier about like what gets you out, what what makes you gives you an incentive to push it each day or whatnot. It's because we know that this one thing we're addicted to in this brief time, it is you know short because it's going to change and um and hunting even more so because you have specific season dates so all right we got these week this week this month you you're going to wake up and go hopefully because you know it's short and uh and you don't want any regrets after yeah well and it's um it's lightning in a bottle or it's like uh catching that magic in the mountains you know whatever that season is but yeah i do like that it's uh the seasonality to it to like the the time frame that you have to be out there when it's good and especially hunting as we go through the seasons you know it's like man i've got my seasons i know you know early season i'm probably chasing antelope they're pre-rut coming into rut and then you know i'll start chasing high country mule deer and that season is so short in that alpine environment those seasons take place from about, you know, Nevada opens August 10th, um, you know, and then usually by about September 10th, I'm wrapping up high country mule deer and that's it for the year, like one, two hunts and then, you know, and then into elk and then into the muley rut and then you can chase the muley rut down south. Uh, But it really is it's like timing on a lot of these hunts. I wouldn't be able to fill out or even have a chance at these animals unless like I had my timing dialed to go chase them, you know? Uh, but yeah, it's a bit how it is with everything, right? As you, you just get this season and then you go hard and then, you know, it's over and you, you have a whole year to wait till the, till the next season comes around. Yeah. But that's the exciting thing. You're always waiting for, for something coming up, but you always love, you love the one you're in, but you're always so excited for the next one. And then it makes you just like use that one you're in to the, to the most. And, I think that's what I've become addicted to, at least with seasons. I could never move back to an area without seasons. Yeah, 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 you're one with the mountains now. I don't think you can move yeah, back yeah. either. You'd lose your mind. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're getting pretty good at chasing those elk too, uh, like for yourself and for other guys. Like, man, you've just got an immense amount of experience in a short amount of time. Like, isn't that the key to learning is just putting yourself in those situations? Yeah, and that was something that, I mean, I just – I'm an adult onset hunter. Didn't meet a hunter until I was 18. Moved to Montana. Didn't start hunting until I was 20. And it it was an addiction that just blew up so fast that I I knew I had to give it the time to learn. Um, and so I had years where like I was working down seasonally in Jackson while finishing up some school. And uh, and then when I finished up school, I still had a season down. How'd that work? I finished summer season. I basically asked my boss. I was like, Hey man, I know this season normally goes till October. Is there any way I can leave at the end of August? Because our tour starts to, my work down here starts to fizzle out come September, October. Can I just like take a hit financially and go live for two months uh, in Montana back when I was still a Montana resident and hunt? And I spent 
60 like seven days hunting deer elk and pronghorn that year and to be able to get so much experience in one season i mean the amount of mistakes i made the amount of your podcast i listened to while sitting on mountain ranges out there and wondering what i was doing but yeah it's, you got to give it the time and uh that's the only way i've kind of gotten to learn and and the cool thing is as you give it that time and you you try to learn fast you see the progression and there's nothing more satisfying in life than progression and anything we do trail running swimming whatever and it went from you know having to work six seven days to harvest my first bull to like this last season i didn't go out a day without seeing a legal bull so now i'm getting to the point okay i can pass i can pass i can just enjoy this animal say goodbye to it or help a friend you know harvest there first and uh yeah i'm hooked you know but you got to give it that time and addiction level yeah super cool well yeah 67 days you know uh some guys only get seven to ten days a year so you're really like compounding five years six years seven years worth of experience all in one season and like you say i don't think there's any other way to go through it than to send it and go for it fail make mistakes and uh, uh recalibrate and then go back at it and um just try to figure out a way and i think we all have to build uh, like our, our, our hunt instincts and our preferences as well. You know, I, I don't think we all hunt the same and, you know, I'm fairly aggressive and make things happen and try to give myself a chance. And I'd, I'd imagine you're similar where you see elk, go for elk, go see what happens, you know, and then learn and evolve from there. But yeah, that experience is so key, man. That's where you just grow. Uh, you're able to grow exponentially and really sharpen your skills and the better skills you have, just the, the better chance you have at killing elk. Like you're seeing now you're reaping the benefits of spending that time in where you're just consistently getting into elk. And that takes a long time to, to hone for sure. Yeah. And I would say my, my, uh, strategy is pretty aggressive as well. I've just had too many times where it, you just go for it and it ends up working that now I'm like, you know, even if it's an hour of light left and they're two miles away and this is part of our fitness, you want to get to that, you want to stay in that year round so that you can get out there and try to make it happen. And I, you know, I've hunted with some people that, you know, they're like, Oh, I've been so cozy here on this glass of knob. Yeah. They're two miles away. The sun's going to set soon though. She was trying further in the morning. I'm like, no, like we're going to go and see what happens. And it's worked out more actually more times than not. And when it doesn't, who cares? At least, you know, I don't want to fall yeah. asleep that night wondering what would happen. So I do think I, I'd lean towards a more aggressive approach. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, me too. And then it's like, uh, as we continue with our journey, it's like being able to mix in some patience with the aggressiveness and not like those situations that you're talking about, I'm full send as well. But then it's like a matter of getting over there and kind of knowing what you can get away with and what you can't and when to kind of push and when not. And even though you went for it, you might back out, you know, with them mm -hmm. at not knowing you're there. Like, you know, it's you just start to mix in a little patience with the aggressiveness. And I think it served me well as I get older. But that that send it, go for it attitude, no bull too far, no amount of light is too little like always go always give myself a chance and sometimes it's so many miles over there and this huge canyon i gotta cross and i just get over there and the wind's bad and i spook yeah. them and i just got this long walk back to camp yeah. think about it but it's totally worth it it's like that served me so well throughout my years of bow hunting and and like you say uh, maybe not more times than not, but um, uh, it, it definitely is like the reason why I've harvested a lot of animals. It's just that scented attitude, you know? So, yeah, I think that's a huge part of it. Absolutely. And like you, um, you know, it is this interesting balance of patience, like you were talking about. And that's something I've actually learned and it helped increase my success. But you, 
I might sprint across that Canyon, but then, yeah, you have to like know when to slow down, you know, and, and mm -hmm. be patient. And I think patience is also, I've learned a lot with glassing, you know, luckily my job, I got these wildlife tours in, in Yellowstone, Grand Teton, I get to spend a lot of time behind glass. It's interesting. I'll put huge efforts to getting in deep and find that glassing knob. Actually, you know, a lot of what you were saying uh, in your earlier podcast with bear hunting, like put in that big ever get to that glass knob, but then sit, you know, and that's where I'm learning that patience does kill is when like, all right, now it's time for my eyes to do the work, you know, and I've learned, I've reaped the benefits of that as I slowly learn how to be a little more patient in that regard. Um, but I still will like at least go for it. Like we're talking about at those last light moments, because I would rather fall asleep that night knowing that it didn't happen than wondering what could have been. And that's just a weird mental thing that I think it helps me sleep. <laughs> yeah, no yeah. doubt. Well, dude, it's really insightful. Uh, you're right. It's like so much of it is pace in the mountains. And yeah, you have to go from this sprint or this charging hard to go get to a vantage point and you're moving and sweating to an absolute sit still, put your gear on, sit there for mm -hmm. a couple hours, see what's moving around. And then just like you said, the pace too is, is guys don't think about it, but on a lot of these mule deer stocks, on a lot of these elk stocks, yeah, I mean, I'm dang near running to try to get mm -hmm. to the spot so they don't move or so that I can capitalize on the area that they're in uh, but you're correct and it's like knowing when to slow down there's a time to move like the hands of the clock but there's also a time to be running when you're out of sight uh, they can't see you you're trying to get around on them before they change beds or while they're in that area and so there's a lot of times in hunting where you're moving very quickly to try to get to a place but it's all about knowing when to slow down and definitely like uh, rings true for like bow hunting elk it's like just knowing your pace like half the time you're jogging to keep up with the herd so you don't lose them but then knowing when to slow down when you're coming over that rise or when you're getting really close to them or when you're starting to get close to where you heard those bugles or where you think they're at really slowing down and being able to still hunt and take a few steps and glass in front of you and a few steps but i think that is like the art of hunting is just knowing your pace and when to slow down yeah, and that that only, I feel like only comes with time. You spend enough, have enough animals, have enough like stocks, and you mess it up enough, you learn what you can get away with, and mm -hmm. you'll still get humbled every so often. Just be like, wow, I thought I'd get away with that, and it didn't work. But uh, but you learn to get. You know, I've had friends come on their first hunt. Like my brother came out just to experience one, and and people will will say, uh, you know, I, I I can't you know ever join in a hunt. I'm I'm too loud. I don't know how to be quiet in the woods. I'm like. Actually, we're going to be pretty loud at times. Like, especially <laughs> if we're talking to an elk herd, like we're going to stomp the ground. We're going to be pretty loud. And then I'll just tell you when we need to like really slow it down. But man, like you'll be all right. <laughs> just come along. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, that's – um. That's uh, that's also a good point is like uh, you learn what you can get away with and what you can't with the animals that you're hunting. You know when they're going to see you or when they're not or when they're going to wind you or they're not. And so you you like take what they give you. You know, it's like you you move in close and then, you know, if the animals um, uh, give you an opening or give you a spot, you take it. But if they're to a spot where they're going to catch you and it's like, man, I know I can't make it across this meadow. They're going to see me down here. I'm j I just have to sit here and wait. And sometimes Sometimes, you know, I have to just sit and wait for a herd to move off 30, 45 minutes with the, the bull of my dream screaming his head off chasing cows, but there's nothing I can do. I know I'll get caught. So you, you're right is you build these hunting instincts with that experience. You learn what you can get away with and what you can't. And then it serves you so well in like a, a future encounters with those animals. Yeah. And I think it's also a learning lesson to learn that like sometimes nature goes against 
some of the rules that you're used <laughs> to seeing and you want to, it's only an experience that'll let you capitalize on this, being quick on the moment, being, you know, patient in the moment, whatever it is. But there's some times that I've just seen some behavior that completely is not what I expected. And if you're not ready for it, you might not capitalize on that moment. And, or, you know, and this is where your shooting ability comes down your, you know, fitness to cross whatever mountain range, but uh, yeah, it just all comes with time and, and time in the woods. And then you spend enough time in the woods, cool stuff happens and you learn every single time. And so, yeah, yeah I think sit well. Yeah, you make so many good points, dude. It's um, that's totally right. You spend enough time, like you, you could be the worst hunter in the world. Eventually, you're just gonna luck into something, you know. And mm-hmm. and, and then there are so many facets that go into hunting skills. You know, it's not just being in great shape. You know, it, it doesn't matter if you can't shoot a rifle or shoot your bow, or if you can't glass and find animals. And so it is like you have to have well-rounded skills all the way through all these facets. Whether you know it's your fitness, your knowledge, your hunting instincts your shooting ability, your, you know, like all of those things come into play on a hunt to make it happen. And so, yeah, you really have to be well-rounded as a hunter and pay attention to all those different facets, because if you have like one weak link, uh, it's going to shine its ugly head, like during the hunt or like when you're closing in. Yeah. And I think that's what I fall in love with it is like, I'm sorry, as much as I love these other activities, mountain biking and climbing and swimming and whatnot, but the second hunting season hits, that's, that's all I'm doing. I'm sorry, but it's, it's not just because it's a, seasonal thing that we wait for but it's also you know it has the most variables and the most the, the widest skill set required that i think it tests you in more ways than a lot of these other sports can and um it's it's addicting that way and and you also put up with way more failure than a lot of these other things you know and um it's you know a day is not all in your control um and i think that's why i just like i'm sorry when when hunting season hits that's what i'm doing <laughs> yeah, yeah that's incredible man yeah i yeah. see it on your feet i see you're totally hooked on it so yeah i mean i got off on some different tangents i'm definitely so impressed by your mountaineering and um your swimming and definitely think it comes into play but yeah man um you're wise beyond your years and in, in your hunting as well you know like uh man you're on a a really good path and i've had a ton of success already i can't i can't wait to see what you turn up in the future and this season and uh what you're able to accomplish dude i think your social media is like one of my favorite follows i really oh enjoy my god it. So nice, keep Brad. up to work <laughs> well i appreciate it i i can't thank you enough it's so funny so i i got an iphone at the start of college when i moved to missoula montana and so i get this new iphone thing trying to learn what it's all about and found these podcasts and that was like right when i got into podcasts and actually eastman's elevated was the first one i i was listening to and i was hooked i remember sitting on these i was doing everything wrong with bear hunting but it's like what i wanted to get i've always loved bears and like wanted to wanted to learn how to see more learn how to stalk them learn learn all about them and i remember just like sitting on these glassing knobs for hours just ripping through your podcast and <laughs> it was i learned so much and i i credit to especially those first couple bears in montana thanks to yours so thanks for everything dude it's a hell of a podcast so thanks Oh, dude, you're amazing. Wow, yeah, that's wow, really yeah. kind. Um, well, it's uh, uh, now you're quite the bear hunter, man. You're turning those things up every season and good bears, wow. man. You're doing yeah. good. Yeah, I love black bear. We're lucky here to be able to, I can literally mountain bike 10 minutes from my house and start start uh, start ripping up the mountains for, for bears in spring. It's fun. So. Mm-hmm. Man, super cool. Well, um, Neil, I've really enjoyed this conversation. So uh, let's keep in touch. We have each other's numbers and you got to come on the podcast again. You got to tell me about your adventures you have up in Alaska this year. Absolutely, dude. Thank you so much. I can't wait to hear about yours this season.
Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, um, sounds good, Neil. Well, yeah, can't thank you enough for your time and sharing your knowledge on the podcast, man. You did so well. So, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it and, uh, yeah, thanks again, man. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Okay. All right, guys, that's a wrap. What a fun conversation. I, I really enjoyed that podcast that, um, Neil Moore is absolutely full send. Uh, so you can see why he's successful is um, he's been able to push his body and his mind uh, to, to, to new levels to, to be able to find success. And um, I just saw he got back from Alaska and had a great trip up there. And uh, there's no doubt that he'll fi- continue to find success on Western Game. So thanks to Neil for taking the time and being on. Thanks to our sponsors for today's show, Juniper Mountain Coffee. Again, that promo code is Eastman's, able to save 25% off your order. Just the best roast there. Uh, Eberly Stock, Black Ovis, and then also Camo Fire. Uh, promo code for the Mule Deer course is Brian MDC. Get that kill kit, that mag view, save 10%. And uh, Eastman's Tag Hub, put in the promo code Brian, and you'll save a bit of money there. So, um, yeah, thanks, you guys. It's been a heck of a season so far. I've just had some amazing adventures. And, um, man, the, the mule deer and elk and, of course, able to harvest that bull the other day, which was um, wild. I covered that on um, the latest Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal podcast. So you can hear that story about that bull and how it all went down. Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal podcast is that podcast I do with Dan Picard. Uh, this week I'm solo on there, uh, but we will get back to Dan and I. We've just both been so busy on these hunts and gone so much. Um, but yeah, you can check that out. It's on a different feed. Just search uh, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. Life of a Bow Hunter is the podcast. And um, check that out. A bunch of great content and information on there. So, um, yeah, able to wrap up elk season here. So I'll help some buddies continue to go and, um, man, start getting into this late season mule deer. I've got some tags in my pocket and, um, able to catch up on work and construction a bit here. And, um, so yeah, I'm feeling pretty good and be able to take some time and, uh, have this, uh, most recent house framed up and closing in on finishing these couple projects. So yeah, I think I'm going to be able to squeak some time out and uh, go chase some late season muleys and um, hopefully capture one or two of them for film. So really excited about putting that together. And uh, so I think I'll start, you know, it's like, what am I going to do? Sit around during hunting season? So I might as well go this weekend, uh, go backpack into a spot and see if I can't find some uh, secondary living mule deer, see if I can find a good buck to go chase around with my bow and arrow. So man, I'm pumped. It's, um, so awesome to have season here and some adventures it's like bow hunting is so difficult but so rewarding so um yeah just uh living my best life over here for sure so uh, we'll continue to get work done get these podcasts out to you guys really appreciate the support uh you got any questions make sure to post them on my, to my social media and i'll try to answer them in the intros and endings and then um Yeah, thanks so much for the reviews. Uh, Spotify and iTunes really helps the algorithm. So I appreciate all you guys doing that. It's like one click on there to leave a review is pretty easy. And um, it really keeps this this podcast rolling. So I really appreciate that. Um, Thanks, you guys. Wish you guys all the... um, uh, all the, the luck and good hunting this season and hope you're getting out on just some amazing adventures. Like the enjoyment is definitely in the journey of being able to do these things and go to these wild places, have time off work, be able to reset, get our minds right, push our bodies, push our mind. There's just, 
there is nothing like backcountry hunting. And so uh, hopefully you guys still have some good adventures coming up. And uh, make sure to share your success with me as I as I love seeing it um, through social media or through um, any means there. So, um, yeah, social media is probably the best place on IG. So, um, yeah, congrats to your guys' success. Keep after it. And um, with that, I'll check in with you next week.